Welcome to Psydactic Residency Edition. I am Dr. O'Leary, a fourth-year psychiatry resident in the National Capital Region. This is a podcast about psychiatry and also sometimes psychology and neuroscience. And it's all given from my perspective. I try to teach anyone interested in these topics, but I plan my content with the expectation that maybe other behavioral healthcare providers, residents, or medical students will be the most drawn to this content. But all are welcome. There really is nothing special about me, so feel free to question or disbelieve or look up to fact-check anything I tell you. I am often wrong. Also, I'm not giving medical advice here, so see your doctor for that. I'm also not speaking for anyone else or any institution, including any institution of which I have been a part of in the past, or am a current member of, or will be a part of in the future. Today, I'm going to use an intermittent series I've been calling In a Word in order to provide a review of one of the words that will likely find its way onto boards and in-service exams, but can also be really useful to know about anyway. That word is validity. Let's say we wanted to develop a test that identifies pathological character traits or quantifies depression symptoms in a patient. A good test is going to do more than simply list the diagnostic criteria for a diagnosis and then ask a patient if they think that sounds like them. Though some screening instruments that we use, like the PHQ-9, seem to pretty much just do that, but it's in a way that has been tested for validity. A test needs to have a few things. First, it needs to have a defined purpose. It needs to be used for maybe diagnosis or for research. You have to know why you're developing that test. Is it going to measure symptoms in an already diagnosed patient and track their response to certain therapies? Is it meant to predict if a person would be a good candidate for something like, well, being an astronaut or a member of the military? Once the purpose of the test is determined, then the person making the test needs to define something called a construct. The construct is the thing that you are attempting to measure. Ideally, the construct will be a real thing, something that exists beyond the confines of the hypothetical. It can be hard to measure a construct or even to determine if it is a real thing. I mean, I can measure the dimensions of my house because it's a concrete and discrete object, but how do you measure a home? In psychology, most constructs are rather complex, and they're not these little discrete entities. If they were, then we wouldn't have to call them constructs. We would just call them what they obviously were. The DSM defines many syndromes or groups of symptoms that when they occur together, 
and cause sufficient distress and can't be explained by something else become a named disorder. That thing now has a name, like binge eating disorder. But that thing might be caused by different things and different people. So that construct that you're diagnosing is not necessarily a single thing in and of itself, but maybe a bunch of associated things. And when taken together, that construct is really a theoretical entity. A construct is valid if it is sufficiently truthy. And by that, I mean that it reflects some kind of legitimate reality. I mean, it doesn't have to be corporeal. It doesn't need to be truly, like, discreet. But it needs to describe a real phenomenon. Phenomena. Phenomena. Prior constructs in psychology and psychiatry, like psychasthenia, have been abandoned. Because, well, although these old-fashioned diagnoses were like often composed of real things that patients experienced, they were grouped together and conceived of in a way that really did not reflect reality. People don't become obsessive or develop compulsions because they have exhausted or overwhelmed psychic energy. While the symptoms that describe psychasthenia may be real, the construct as a whole itself is not valid. So when developing a test for something, the test needs to have, at the most basic level, something called construct validity, which means that the construct that is being measured or tested for is a real thing, and that the things that you're measuring are actually describing that construct and not something else. While we can never be entirely sure about our constructs, we can design our tests in a way that help us to be very realistic about them. Most behavioral health providers will construct their own impromptu tests for patients during interviews by asking questions that we think are getting patients to reveal their core symptom clusters. And we tailor our questioning towards those rabbit holes that we see appearing in front of us. When we construct an impromptu test in this way, we're doing kind of a micro-scale form of rational test construction. Rational test construction is when you choose items for a test because they seem to make obvious sense. If what I suspect is true, then I would also suspect this, so I'm going to ask about that too. This is based on something called face validity, where you're proposing something that just seems to make sense without much effort or explanation. It looks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck. Rational test construction relies a lot on face validity. If you construct a test that puts the diagnostic criteria of any disorder into an uh, easy-to-understand questions that a patient can answer, you've done rational test construction. You're doing something that seems to make sense on the surface. However, if you want a 
method of testing that's more fully and accurately measuring what you want, then you would need to add an empirical component to your test construction. To be empirical means to include a broad range of documented observations that themselves can be tested. So this requires surveying a large number of people, and these people should be suspected of having the disorder or the condition, and also a lot of people who are not affected. Test developers will cast a very broad net by asking a large number of items that they think are associated with their construct, and then they'll zero in on those items that seem to be more reliably associated with whatever it is they're trying to measure. This is called empirical test construction, because what you're, you're starting with much more than you actually will need in the end, and then you're narrowing down your test items by throwing out the ones that are like inconsistent or redundant or not very specific or sensitive. During that process, you might note that two or more items are kind of always correlated with each other. Like people who score high on one item also always score high on the other. So you might be, in effect, kind of measuring the same thing twice by keeping both of these items in the test. So you may want to narrow down to just one of them. Good test construction requires both a rational and an empirical approach. The rational approach is going to guide what kinds of items are obviously included in the empirical testing, but it's also important to stretch the limits of your rationality in the beginning so that you can find as many kind of hidden but real or rare associations as possible. It's also important to include many things that appear to be similar so that the test developers can drill into which one of these things is actually the best one to include as a single item. This ensures the test will not only have construct validity, but also have content validity, <laughs> which means that it is measuring all of the important or meaningful features of the construct. Content validity means you're capturing all the features of the construct that you can. So by combining rational and empirical methods, you get a better content validity, and ideally, this process should continue to inform when you're making new iterations of any, any test, um, or to see how the test performs in special populations, or whether it remains a useful tool over time. So far, I have mentioned face validity, which means that you don't have to strain to understand what a test is measuring. Construct validity, that we're measuring a real thing, and that that thing is what we think we're measuring and not something else. And content validity, that we're measuring as much about that thing as is important or feasible to measure. Ultimately, it would be great to compare the results of any new test to some kind of gold standard.
If you are the first to create a test, then that test, if validated and used, will likely become the gold standard. When looking for some standard to compare your test to, you're asking the question, basically, by what criterion is my test measured? This is called criterion validity. A test that is quick and easy to implement might be compared to a more lengthy clinical evaluation, and the results of the quick test could be compared with results that independent clinicians can agree on. The problem in psychiatry and psychology is that there are very few really golden gold standards. The gold standard by itself may be a test that became the gold standard by virtue of being the first one made and then generally accepted. Criterion validity is important, but not always available in a very strict sense. And it might actually not be the most important type of validity that you're dealing with when you're making a test. But it is important to compare your tests to the results of other tests that can that have construct validity. There are at least two kinds of criterion validity that measure whether different tests agree on the same outcomes or constructs. One is called concurrent validity, and the other is convergent validity. Now, these are two words for something that are basically the same thing, but there is one major difference. Concurrent validity compares a new test to an already established standard. If your test produces results that are similar to that already established test, then it has concurrent validity. It concurs with an already existing test. Convergent validity measures how well the results of a new test converge with another new test that is different in some respect. If two different kinds of tests developed concurrently converge on results, this helps to support the construct validity of what you are testing. Concurrent and convergent are really difficult terms because tests that are developed concurrently have convergent validity. They have to be developed at different times to have concurrent validity. So I'm not sure why they named it that way, but if it helps you to understand that the term concurrent is really misleading uh, in order to remember the terms, then use that. In the end, a, a construct is more likely to be a real thing if we're measuring it from different angles and we still seem to be measuring the same thing. The tests, whether both new or one is new and one already existed, agreeing with each other can mean that our construct is probably, or at least more likely to be real. Imagine a test that a patient completes on a computer versus a test that's given by a clinician during an interview. If the results are very similar between the tests, then the clinician-administered test, if it already existed, 
would have concurrent validity with the new computer test. If both tests were created as new tests and they agreed, then the tests would have convergent validity. Convergent or concurrent validity might help to justify giving patients the option to, say, merely answer questions on a computer prior to an appointment rather than waiting till they're in the room with a clinician. The results are in agreement either way, so you can choose one or the other based on the needs of the clinic or the needs of the patient. I mean, a patient with impaired vision might not be able to use a self-reported computer version of a test. Another type of validity based on agreement between tests is predictive validity. When the results of one test, often a screening instrument, predict the results of a future test or predict a future outcome. For example, infants or toddlers may display some traits of autism or ADHD, but they've not yet reached the developmental stage where they can be reliably diagnosed. If there are screening instruments that can predict that they're likely to be given a diagnosis in the future when they can take that more comprehensive evaluation, then the test has predictive validity. The difference between concurrent and predictive validity is that concurrent validity describes the present. The same patient at the same time would have the same results on two different tests. Predictive validity is concerned with future results. The results of today's test will likely be durable over time or at least predict a future new state. A test with high predictive validity can help guide future decisions to, say, seek more diagnostic information or could guide, like, admissions offices on whether a student with a high or low ACT or SAT score will do well in the program that they're applying to. One can argue about the predictive validity of college admissions tests, but that's not what I'm going to do here today. So far, the kinds of validity that I've talked about describe different methods that either agree with each other, meaning they converge or concur on the same answer, or that they predict a future result. There is a kind of validity that requires not agreeing on something, not being the same, giving a different result. This is called divergent validity. Part of having construct validity is making sure that your test measures one thing, and really only one thing. You're not conflating multiple things. Ideally, your test won't give a different result because something other than the construct that you're interested in changes. Its result should diverge from the results of a test measuring something different. I think about how concentration is impaired in like really many different disorders. There's anxiety, ADHD, depression, traumatic brain injuries, strokes, insomnias, multiple sclerosis, and many other disorders might present with complaints of impaired concentration. If you're measuring concentration or someone's attention span, 
This might actually be a correlate of anxiety or depression or obstructive sleep apnea, etc. So the scores on your concentration test would then correlate with the scores on, for example, a depression inventory. Your construct then might not be a single thing in and of itself. It's not divergent from depression. You want a test that can distinguish between different things that might result in the same thing or share similar features. It would be nice to stop here, but concepts of validity are not just related to the constructs that they measure. Many tests have items incorporated into them that attempt to measure whether the results of that particular instance of the test appear to be, say, falsified or just uninterpretable or maybe biased in some way. It's not infrequent when I'm reading like the results of psychological testing for my patients that uh, the psychologist declares that the results of part or all of the testing are invalid. Patients might have given indications that they really exaggerated or just underreported symptoms or didn't put much effort into it. Maybe they intentionally tried to mislead the examiner. This type of validity is not of the test construct itself, like, but instead it's of that specific instance of the test being given. These aberrant results don't invalidate the constructs. It only invalidates that particular test, the results of that particular test. The construct of the test is still valid, but the results of that test are not. Patients are not necessarily trying to game a test, but they might be reporting extremely severe symptoms in many domains because they kind of lack insight into what the questions mean, or they want to communicate that they're in severe distress. This result can still be useful to a clinician to understand the patient, even if the test itself uh, is not valid, or if it's not validly measuring the construct of the test. You still have a result. I've had one patient whose attentional capacity was so poor that his neuropsychological testing was determined to be invalid except to the extent that they could rule out borderline intellectual functioning because his scores, invalid as they were to establish what are his true levels, were at least high enough to rule out a gross impairment in his intellect. I could also get into a concept called reliability, but that's not the word I'm dealing with today, and so I'm going to defer a deep discussion of that for now. I also think reliability is really more intuitive and it's more easily measured. Is a test going to give consistent results when given under similar circumstances to similar patients? If yes, then it's pretty reliable. If not, then it's not reliable. If you're interested more in reliability, then, uh, and really there is much more to be said about it than what I just said, so go ahead and look into it. A good test needs to be both reliable and valid in as many ways as it can be. I made this episode because I struggle 
to understand what all these terms mean. I want to be able to better choose and understand like how to refer patients for psychological or neuropsychological testing. I need to understand what a test is actually measuring to have a basic understanding of what that construct is. That's so that uh, when I refer my patients for testing, I, I know what it is that it means. I mean, simply getting testing because things seem weird and I don't know what's going on will likely give unreliable or spurious results. I mean, is the test that I'm asking for, the test that's being given, something that me or the patient's kind of interested in? I mean, what is the clinical question? That's very important. In the next episode, I will discuss the differences between psychological testing and neuropsychological testing. And I hope doing this will help me better understand where to direct a patient when I do need more information about what's going on. What kinds of questions can a psychological test answer, and how is that going to differ from questions that neuropsychological tests answer? Until next time, I am Dr. O, and this has been an episode of Psydactic Residency Edition. Thank you.